The Ram Dhamma's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 4, The Spaceport Prepares to Launch the SRT. Dawn was about to break over the spaceport. All the runways were lined with bright green beacons and the higher buildings topped with flashing red lights. Below, activity was increasing in preparations for the launch of the SRT. General Kellogg stared out his office window at the huge oval hangar that housed the SRT. Then he looked down at the screen. He had not slept well all night. This is absolutely incredible. He shouted and he looked up at the clock. 4.30 in the morning. Where the hell is Hutchinson? Where is he? I'm sorry, General. Replied the tired Hernandez, his tie hanging loosely around his neck. I swear, it's like he vanished into thin air. Kellogg tightened the lines around his eyes. The strain was apparent. In less than a month, Hector relaunched the SRT. It's right down there in the hangar now. But if Hutchinson opens his mouth, it's all over. Finish! The spaceship will never leave the hangar. General, we can alert the authorities on the other pretenses. Give them a phony name, anything, as long as we get Hutchinson back to us. This whole thing should have been wrapped up hours ago. He should be in a holding cell in Virginia. We have to determine what he'd be thinking, what he'd do. You better start thinking it over, Hector, because if you don't find him soon, I'm flying up there myself. I'm sure that, uh... Began Hernandez, but Kellogg cut him off. No, no. The general gazed out the window again. Over the Atlantic's deep blue horizon, the sun was about to rise. Kellogg crunched his teeth together. He had every confidence in his men, but he was deeply disturbed by Hutchinson's ability to evade them all. It was his one hope that they would be able to find the colonel before he opened his mouth and told everything that he knew. McGee was half asleep in a recliner. Still in his vested suit, he was covered with an old blue bedsheet. Across the apartment, Colonel Hutchinson slept on McGee's circular air suspension bed. Surrounding the bed were half a dozen consoles and monitors. In fact, most of the wall space was devoted to computer consoles and electronic devices. The only break was a long circular window in the back of the recliner. As the first vestige of sunlight came through the blinds, Colonel Hutchinson opened his eyes. Damn, damn, it hurts, he said loudly, holding both sides of his head. Man! McGee, as if the room was on fire, quickly unfurled a sheet into the air and sprang from the chair. Hutchinson, you're awake! He smiled and he ran toward the bed. He leaned over and looked at the bruised colonel. Yes, I'm awake, but frankly, the way I feel, I'd rather be dead. You're McGee, right? Right, said McGee, amazed that the colonel could remember anything. Can I get you something? You still look like you're in a lot of pain, colonel. No, I'll be all right he said stoically as he tried to sit up. McGee started to help, but Hutchinson sat up on his own accord. We have to act quickly before they find me. You mean the SIA? How did you know? asked Hutchinson. You just made it by the skin of your teeth, Colonel. They came in the front door of my office. We were just able to get you out the back, he said as he crossed his arms. I know all about you, Colonel. Oh, you do? Yes, I know you've been with the agency for 18 years. You've test flown practically every new spacecraft during that time. You've won more medals and honors than anyone else in the agency. All right, McGee, you've done your homework. Just a run through one of the central computers, which leads to the question of the hour. Why are they after a guy like you? I'll get to that, said Hutchinson, clearing his throat. You got any water? Sure, sure, said McGee as he went over to the tap. Fill the glass. 
instructed Hutchinson, and McGee put the glass under the tap. The valve, tied to his computer, opened the spigot and water went into the glass. You're surrounded by computers, that's good, said Hutchinson. McGee handed the glass to him and he slowly drank the water. Thank you. You want anything to eat? asked McGee as he pulled on the blinds and the sun burst into the room. No, I couldn't hold it down. McGee looked outside. The hilly city was covered by a smooth coating of fresh snow. Through the bare trees, the rays twinkled and the shadows formed over the snow. McGee looked to the horizon. The very thin smoke and water vapor from the building smokestacks told him the air had gotten very cold. He turned away from the window and looked back to the colonel. Well, whatever you want to eat, you just let me know. Thanks, McGee. I, I'm impressed with your attitude toward the SIA. Most people will be completely intimidated. And you got me away from the office. You were in no condition to play hide-and-seek, Colonel. Fact, you're still in pretty lousy shape. I can get a doctor. Oh, no, he laughed. You of all people with your computer expertise should know they'd trace any medical examination. Look, I need your help. I'm all ears, but I want to make one thing clear. I brought you up here for a reason. You want, uh, how would you say it, a payoff? Yeah, that's right. Now you're talking my language, smiled McGee. He pulled out one of his chrome-framed chairs around the bed and turned it around in front of Hutchinson. But before you tell me anything, I want to know the terms. The terms? What's in it for me? Hutchinson's face became serious. He inhaled quickly and then exhaled as he thought. Nodding his head, he looked up at McGee. I've acquired considerable wealth, all of which is meaningless to me in my present predicament. It's all yours if you can help me. I'll pay you anything you want. Well, that's interesting, said McGee. The old blank check deal. I can get my hands on a hundred thousand. McGee's face was still in the placid mode. It took a few seconds for him to realize what the colonel had just said. He hit the side of his head, pretending he was getting water out of his ears. One hundred... Look, I don't care what it costs. My life is on the line here, McGee. Then perhaps you'd better just start telling me what the hell's going on here said McGee as he looked over at the computer terminal next to the bed. Begin recording. My retrieval command only. Any tampering erased conversation. Go ahead, Colonel. Hutchinson looked at the terminal. Then his eyes moistened as he faced McGee. He looked like he was most leery to relate his story. If he was going to speak, he'd have to be able to trust McGee implicitly. Instinct was the only way to go. And instinctively, he knew for sure he might know that McGee's obsession was with money. As you can see, they did an effective job on my face and arms. My ribs are bruised from the fall. I leaped out of a moving car. And before that, they went after me for 72 hours, trying to get information I did not have. They demanded that I admit guilt against overwhelming evidence. What were you accused of, Colonel? Was it in the news? Asked McGee. No, wait a minute. It couldn't have been. The computer would have picked it up. This is an ultra-secret SIA operation, and I have to admit I was right in the heart of it. They used me because of all my years with the space agency. My clean and distinguished record, ability to follow orders, experience. Have you ever heard of the Red Metal? The Red Metal, said McGee, looking over to the computer. Scan the Red Metal. You won't find it, McGee, and I don't know what's wise letting the computer tap into this. It'll destroy the files if anyone tries to gain access. Very well. The red metal is a newly developed substance. Developed in a weightless environment, diamond crystals are melted into a geometric structure within the finest grade of steel. 
It's much like reinforced concrete, except we have undoubtedly produced the strongest metal ever devised. Bright and glossy red, virtually non-corrosive. Why is it red? It's a derivative, used for cohesiveness. The point being, he said, throwing out the bait, it's very valuable, extremely rare. Why, just a few pounds of the red metal could make a man rich. A few pounds more could set him for life. Only a few pounds? Now, how much? Asked the stunned McGee. Only a few pounds. Now, I was in charge of piloting the short-range transport. The same ship they're going to launch from the spaceport in just a few weeks. Bevel 3. Bevel 3 wanted an experienced pilot. Bevel 3? What the hell is that? I'm sorry, it's code. It means the space agency, said Hutchinson as he took another gulp of water. In any event, the red metal, three tons of it, was loaded on the SRT in the deep space station smeltering complex. Our destination was orbiting station 15, geosynchronized over California. It was to be a six-day journey. Let me ask you something, Colonel. Sure. Have you ever done anything like this before? What, transport metal? No, never. The precious metal. It was stolen and they framed you, surmised McGee. Exactly. Not too hard to figure, said the cocky McGee as he rose and stroked his chin. Okay, Colonel, how about the details? My case man in this operation was codenamed Baranka. I received all my instructions from him on a sub-frequency channel. Do you know exactly who he was? Well, that would be a breach of... Colonel, I don't think this is the time to be worrying about security breaches. Who was he? Daniel J. Alder. He's stationed right at the spaceport. Have you made any attempt to contact him? Grilled McGee, trying to get to the heart of the matter. Wait, just wait, said Hutchinson. Let me go on with the story. Every hour on the hour, I had to check in with Alder slash Baranka. Mostly just a coded status report, television, video, and x-ray scans of the red metal down to the last ounce. Then security was tight. Right. We had just been out two days when Baranka informed me the agency was sending an official ship of inspectors. Damn, you should have been suspicious of that. Did he ever mention that before? No, not at all. Easy to look at in hindsight, McGee. But I was under orders. Baranka told me I'd be picking up the ship on my senses in six hours. I was instructed, or should I say ordered, to bring the inspectors directly through the docking bay. Let them inspect the red metal with their monitoring devices. Then what? asked McGee. I stayed up front in the pilot's cabin, and I let the damn ship dock. It was a small gray ship. I've never seen it before. None of our class ships. I watched them dock, and I watched the bay doors open. The entire cargo bay was flooded with this green gas. Naturally, I scrambled up the staircase and went back. I was greeted by a smash against my skull. Next thing I remember, I was waking up in this hotel above the Charles River in Boston. I looked out over the river as I turned. I saw two large black suitcases by the closet door, filled to the rim with bills. And almost on cue, the SIA agents burst into the hotel room broke down the door, the whole bit. They arrested me and charged me with hijacking the red metal away on another ship. They suckered you, said McGee as he thought. Who would want to set you up, better yet? Why would they want to set you up, Colonel? I don't know, McGee. They have an actual video record of me as clear as day. 
cashing in several pounds of the red metal. I don't remember any of it, and the rest of the red metal, tons of it, is still missing. What was the time frame when you lost consciousness to the time you woke up in the hotel? Today's 24th. I left the smeltering complex about December 27th. Oh boy, they could have had you do anything. And to top it off, they claimed I sold the stuff to DOFS agents. DOFS? Domination of Federated States. It's mostly the old non-aligned countries. They're very rapidly increasing in military and political power. Colonel, please don't be offended by what I'm about to ask. Did you have anything to do with this theft? No. And whether I'm guilty or not, the SIA can kill me without a trial and then publish the whole thing in the future. Somebody's living well. Baranka, what about him? asked McGee. Alder is uncorruptible, and besides, he'd never have the nerve to carry off something like this, nor the means. He's a quiet career guy who wears cardigan sweaters and smokes fine pipe tobacco. No, he didn't do it. Everyone's under suspicion. Even you, Colonel. I don't trust you. You don't trust me. Who the hell do you think you are? I sit here and reveal national defense secrets and you don't trust me? I should be the one not trusting you. Tell me two things, Hutchinson. What do you want from me? And how much will I actually get paid? I want you to clear me, for God's sakes. It's as simple as that. And I told you, I don't care about any costs. First of all, I'll need Baranka's address and phone. And I need to know if anyone else is giving orders, whether or not you trusted Baranka or not. He led you down the primrose path. Well, there's more. Oh, said the surprised McGee. Yes, when I was coming up to that green gas in the back, I heard them yelling something before I was hit. Something about a program, Delbo 65, and then something else, being Chiruk, or Chiruk, and NASCOM. I think, I can't remember too clearly. It all happened so fast. Computer, they don't exist, McGee. Nothing even close. Swell. Well, the hell with that theory. What about the others on board? Can they be located? Nope. They were all dead, or so I was told. The SIA showed me a video of the cargo bays after the gas cleared. They were all brutally murdered, their necks cracked. The blood cut off from their brains. Interesting, said McGee as he looked over to the computer. Check all scans and radio signals. When clear, transfer all this to the turbo computer, same directive. You have computers in your car? Asked Hutchinson. Sure, I can summon it to drive and go just about anywhere. As long as the cops don't see, there's no one at the wheel. <laughs> Let me ask you this one final question, Colonel. Do you think the SIA is totally responsible for setting you up? Frankly, said the Colonel, thinking for several seconds, no. Perhaps a portion of their agency. You have to realize, McGee, the agency protects itself. My skin is expendable. You don't have to prove my innocence. I do have something to go on, but it's very vague. And I have to deal with the government. I've never liked doing that, but I must say, the truth never had such dividends. I'll take on your case, Colonel, he said as he turned sarcastic. Truth is very important to me, very important. Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ram Dhamma's Kingdom, Who is He Who Commands the Masses? Produced by Fitton Theater of the Words.